So you know the scenario, right? The doorbell rings and uh, maybe you're expecting your neighbor and you open the door and it's a family of maybe Jehovah's Witness witnesses or maybe a couple of uh, handsome uh, LDS uh, elders there, young missionary guys. And you're you're kind of freeze for a moment. You wonder, what what do I do? What what do I do now? And uh, should you have the conversation um, should you have an argument? Uh, maybe you wonder, well, are they really any different than me? Because we kind of talk the same language and and uh, they're really sincere, honestly. Uh, and boy, they're a lot more courageous than I am going to people's doors. Uh, it can be really hard to know. Some of you maybe um, have family members who are part of other um, religions or belief systems, or maybe you came out of that in your own background. But Continuing in our You Asked For It series, someone asked this question, how should Christians respond to people of other religions? It's a great question. How do we respond to people of other religions? And so in these few minutes, obviously, I, I'm not here to tell you what other religions believe, what other um, groups teach, um, what makes them different than faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but you don't need to become an expert in other religions to know and cling to the truth. It's sort of like that. That illustration we sometimes talk about, uh, say, bank tellers, um, a bank teller who, uh, you know, learns to recognize counterfeit money, not by studying counterfeit, but by being very familiar with handling the real thing. And so that when something that's not right comes through the hands, they recognize it right away. So um, did we get Bibles distributed? Are we good? Um, if you don't have a Bible and someone walks that aisle, just give them a wave and uh they will give one to you. And I've got page numbers as we go. Um, so let's see if we can catch just a few points here that will help you hopefully respond uh, graciously to your neighbor or friend or co-worker or family member who may be Muslim or uh, uh, LDS or Sikh or Buddhist, um, JW or whatever that is. So let's break this down in a few ways. First of all, what did Jesus have to say? I mean, Scripture tells us what Jesus said. So what did Jesus have to say? So turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 in, in page 646, if you're using that red church Bible. I'm reading from New Living Translation. Um, Luke chapter 9, verse 49. The... Uh, the disciple John says, John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. And Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who's not against you is for you. And on one hand, you get that Jesus has this sort of broad, this very kind of kind of wide sense of, of allowance, this kind of wide room for people doing things in different ways. That's why it's really okay that we've got, you know, Mennonite churches and Pentecostal churches and Baptist churches and, and Methodist churches and Presbyterians, um, because there's kind of a wideness in how God's kingdom functions. But then turn a page over, Luke chapter 11, verse 23, and this is again Jesus speaking. Luke chapter 11, 23. Jesus says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Well, what is it, Jesus? You said anyone who's not against you is for you, and now you're saying anyone who's not for you is against you. Which is it? You want him to sort of make up his mind, but, you know, we really don't have room. The point is we don't have room for a passive response to Jesus. 
You're either in or you're out. You're either you're either for or, or you're not for Jesus. It's not sort of like whatever. What Jesus is inviting you to is an active response. The kind of stuff Janice was just challenging you with. An active response. I'm actively following Jesus. I'm actually pursuing the things of God. I may not get it perfectly correct or I might not do it all in the right way. But I'm not passive. I'm active. And that's the invitation. So this is what Jesus is saying. And the reality is that everyone will come down on either side, either for or against Jesus. Jesus is always the deciding figure, always the defining line about what's true or not. Because you can turn it to um, John chapter 14, verse 6. One more thing that Jesus said about himself. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And John 14, 6. You might even have memorized this verse at some point in your life. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus told him, speaking to Thomas, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Well, anyone who makes that kind of exclusive claim, right, to be the way, the truth, the life, that person is either lying or telling the truth. You can't have it both ways. Jesus can't be just a kind of a good moral teacher and then make that kind of statement, that kind of claim. If he's, if he's, if he's lying, you need to reject Jesus right now. You don't want to follow a liar. You don't want to give your life to a liar. But if he's telling the truth, well, he's worth following. Because he's saying he's the way, truth, and life. That's what I mean. Jesus is always the deciding factor, always the defining line. You can't be ambivalent about Jesus. Well, how can you know if someone is on Jesus' side or not. So let me put this. I put five red flags. We're going to see if we can get through these five red flags. What do other people say about Jesus? You want to ask the question? Well, you know, let's say you're having a conversation with a, a, a Sikh neighbor and um, you want to you want to know, I mean, what would they say, for example, about Jesus? OK, would they agree that Jesus is the son of God, that he's fully human and fully God? That he was not created, but always existed and always will. He's eternal, right? We call that pre-existent and eternal. Um, does their teaching line up with what Jesus teaches? Um, it's really crucial that we understand that Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, was also fully human. God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us on earth. Not Born, not created, but the I am has always existed. What about what would they say about the Bible? So would they agree that the Bible is the complete and inspired or God breathed scripture, God breathed word, that it's fully true and fully reliable, that it's that it's authoritative for life and practice. So, for example, a Muslim might might respect the Bible, but they would say, but the real deal is the Quran. And we would say, no, the, the Bible is it. That's that's what we get. We might have a commentary on the Bible that someone's written to help us understand it better. I stand up here and I open some things up and I try to explain some things. But but really, it's it's scripture. It's the Bible. It's not the Bible plus something else. It's authoritative for life and practice for our doctrine. The Bible is the standard by which we measure other 
revelation, any prophetic word or teaching has to agree with Scripture. If someone comes to you and says, you, you know, I like what you, what you said, Janice. You really felt like the Lord spoke to you. And, and the Lord spoke to you some things that what? Were from Scripture or that agreed, lined up with Scripture. If someone says, you know, I really feel like the Lord telling you that, um, you know, you need to go uh, jump off a bridge without a bungee cord. Um, you know, you'd say, you know, I, I don't see that in, in Scripture. I mean, you, you can always use Scripture to, to be the authoritative word. So the Bible is the inspired word of God. Would they agree about salvation, for example? That would, they, would they teach that salvation is by what God does or by what you do? So we would say, is that by grace or by works? By your faith in Christ or by your human effort of trying harder, working harder, doing more, praying better, reading more? You know, we're not saved by what we do. No amount of, of doing is ever going to save you. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ, who, by God's love, gave his life for you. And so that's what we call the grace of God, the favor of God, the gift of God. That's new life for you. You can't earn it and you can't pay it back. There's no amount of effort that will save you. And, and some will say, yeah, well, that's true, but... You make sure you go to church or, yeah, but make sure you tithe. Yeah, but make sure now, those are those are like very important things to do, but they aren't what saves us. What would they say about God? Would they agree that there's just one God? Merciful, knowable. You can actually know God personally. That he's what we call imminent and transcendent. That means imminent means he's right here with you right now in this place. We just saying about Holy Spirit, come be, be here in this place. And he's also transcendent. He's far beyond, far greater, far above, far. There's mysteries about God that aren't ours to know just yet. He's right here, intimate and close. And yet he's far and grand. Would they agree about that? Would they agree that he's that the redeemer and the creator? Would they agree about the church? What would they teach? Would they teach that the church is the people of God and the body of Christ in the world called in faith to know God and carry forward the mission to make disciples? Right. Would they agree the church has variety? I, I, I'm, I'm, I would just caution you to be suspicious of, of a group that says our one group is the only kind of has the only way to understand God. And I know that's well, that's subject to a little bit of interpretation because you might say, well, Brian, you're saying. You're saying, well, you, you have the exclusive understanding of truth. I'm saying, no, I'm saying there's a wideness in those who meet these elements of faith in Jesus, Scripture, understanding who God is. So, yeah, we're, we're, a, we're what we call a Mennonite Brethren Church, but there's Pentecostals. I've got the Assemblies of God, brothers and sisters in Christ and so on. The idea is that we are in Christ together. Those who are out of Christ would not be our brothers and sisters. So you're not saved by belonging to any church. You're only saved again by Jesus. Well, what about this? What would the first believers have said about our faith? John chapter 1, if you want to go back a few pages from your spot there in John. John chapter 1. This is a pretty foundational passage for us. Uh, you'll recognize it probably when I read it. John chapter 1. He's writing and he, he says this. In the beginning... You'll you'll may have known it like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. New Living Translation translates it this way. In the beginning, the word already existed. 
The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. We learn as you continue to read that that's referring to Jesus. The word, the logos is the Greek word, always existed. In His very nature, God, right? The one through whom all things were created. He is not created. He did not become God and He just is God. And Jesus then became a human, like we said, and revealed God to us through his human slash divine life. This is what the first believers are writing. What about in 1 Corinthians? You want to turn over several pages. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then you'll get to Corinthians. Right at the end of 1 Corinthians. So it's a letter written by Paul to the church in Corinth. That's they are the Corinthians. It has nothing to do with leather. Which, by the way, was just a made-up thing by the Chrysler Corporation. There's no such thing as Corinthian leather. But that's how they used to advertise the uh, Chrysler LeBaron back in the 70s or 80s, whenever that was. It's free trivia for you. You can thank me later. Just in case some of you play trivia crack. That might come up one time. And you'll need to know the answer to that. All right. All that went right over your heads. I get that. Mine too. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Here's the key thing. Verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. That Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. That's the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, right? Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. Verse 4, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve apostles. Verse 6, after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. In verse 8, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul writes. So Paul's passing on these essentials, this testimony of Jesus that came before his life in the Old Testament, the testimony of his life during his lifetime on earth by the Holy Spirit, and the testimony of his life afterwards by witnesses who saw him raised from the dead. More than 500 people could say, I I actually saw Jesus alive raised from the dead. And then let me take you to one more, Colossians chapter 1. I think this is like the pinnacle statement of who Jesus is in the New Testament. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, picking up at verse 15. You just, you, you can't not be in awe of this passage of Scripture. Colossians 1.15 Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. 
He existed, verse 17, before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Think about that. Those atoms that are spinning around and we're not quite sure how everything just doesn't fly apart. Jesus, it says, holds all things together. Verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Verse 21. This includes you, Gentiles, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. We just sang that song that says, you remind me of who I am. That's what you are, holy and blameless, as you stand before him without a single vault. Verse 23, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. This is a monumental description of Jesus and his work and what he continues to do today. Okay, I'm going to beg your indulgence to continue, and we're just going to work through the rest of this. Five gospel essentials. What you can say about God. This is so crucial. You, you, here's, if you, someone's asking, well, what do I need? You can pull out, if this helps, you can take this along with you. God loves you and has made a way for every person to know Him. That's, a, that's an essential of the gospel. That God loves you, the God who created you. He loves you, He knows you, and wants you to know Him. And He's made a way for that to happen. Okay. Secondly, people. Here's what we can say about people. All people are apart from God. And we're born to sin. Let's just be honest. No one teaches a two-year-old how to have a tantrum. It comes natural. We are born to sin. And doing life my own way, your own way, might work for a while. It might even work for this life. You might be very successful in this life. But let me tell you, it's not going to work for eternity. You need Christ Jesus. So we can say that God created all things. We can say that people are all apart from God and born to sin. Thirdly, we can say about salvation that we are all in need of saving. We are all in need of a new life. And as we just read, God seeks to reconcile all things to himself. God is the one reaching to you and to me and has been from the time you were born. It's not you reaching to him. It's God reaching to you. That's so essential in the gospel. Fourthly, Here's what you can say about Jesus. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus, he either is or he isn't. He is the only way to salvation. He alone can be trusted to forgive and reconcile us to God because he paid for our sin on the cross. There's no other possible way to remove the guilt of your sin. You can't undo what, what, what has been done. Someone else has to remove that for you. Jesus is the one who can do that. And only Jesus. And finally, you can say this about faith. That salvation in Christ Jesus is a choice. It's a decision to put your faith in Him. Every person must make their own decision. It's not made for you by your parents or your grandparents or your spouse. It's your decision. You make that choice yourself. 
put your faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to forgive me and make me right with the Heavenly Father, the one who created me and wants me to know him. Let me leave with four last things about how to respond to others. When you're um, maybe faced with a coworker or someone at the door, first, can you please just be kind? Just, just respond kindly. It may, maybe, maybe you're just feeling overwhelmed, and so please just don't be argumentative. No one wins when there's an argument. Everybody loses. It's awful. You feel like you need to take a shower. I mean, just like, don't get into an argument. And remember, the person you're talking to, they are a person in need of new life as well. They're probably very sincerely want to know the truth. And so look past everything that's an external barrier for you and care more about the person than about the content of the discussion. So respond kindly. Respond wisely. This person you're talking to, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe you're the one trying to initiate a conversation, but it's at work and they have a 15-minute coffee break. And maybe they just, they just want to talk about what happened on the weekend. And it's okay. Be wise about the timing of your conversations. Um, maybe the person you're talking to just is trying to convert you and they just want to debate with you. You can just be wise about not taking the bait for that. Save your persuasion for that person who's really asking true questions. And ask God to help you discern who wants to know more. I would say you can respond firmly. It's really okay to have a boundary. You know, I've, I've done this. Sometimes they come to my door and they say, you know, knock, 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 and um, hi, we, and I say, hey, um, thank you so much for coming today. I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. Jesus died for your sin. He's the only way to salvation. I hope you have a really great day. Well, I just like to leave with this brochure. That's fine, thanks. I got lots of material. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Praying for you. Boom. Okay? You can do that. It's really okay. If you're kind about it and you're just be firm about it and just just get your get some truth out there. You just I want you to know God loves you so much. And uh, I just love how how earnest you are. And you just you you pray and ask God to reveal truth to you. I guarantee you'll find it um, because that's what it says in Gen- Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen that God says, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. It comes right after that verse that twenty nine eleven that everybody loves so much. So you can be firm about it. Um, you don't need to like. Get dragged into something if you're not ready. If you want to, go for it. Invite people in for tea, coffee, whatever. Sit down. Give as much time as you want. But if you're on a day where you're just like, oh, I just don't have time for this. That's okay. Just be, gent- be kind and firm about it. And then respond to people prayerfully. Especially, for, maybe you have a friend who, who's in another religion or they worship another God. They, in some way, just pray for them. Pray for them to hunger for truth. Just the desire to seek after God. God will be found by those who seek for Him. I guarantee that. Christian belief, let me leave you with this. Christian belief is not a religion. Christian belief is faith in the person of Jesus Christ. I think this is in your outline. You need to just circle this on your page. Christian belief is not a religion. It's faith in the person of Jesus Christ who can save you and make you holy. And other religions, and I've said this to you before, other religions are not faiths because they are systems of belief based on works of self-righteous effort. So by very definition, they're not a faith. Something can only be a faith if I'm putting my trust in it for salvation. Now, some people do have faith in Charles Darwin or faith in something else. But it's not a faith as we understand faith. Only 
Trust in Jesus Christ is faith because we're not depending on good self-effort to make us right. Okay, a little long, but we got through it. That's a good question. Next week's question is even harder. How do we respond to violence and evil in the world? The one after that, we're going to talk about someone wanted to know everything about Revelation. So that will take um, two days. We'll just stay here for a marathon. And then uh, the last one, we're going to talk about current events, what's going on. In August, we're going to get started in a series in Ephesians. I'm excited. Lots of great things going on. Next Sunday after church, we'll have a membership meeting. Members can vote on uh, Janice, but it makes it easier. If you want to do your uh, advanced ballot, there's a stack of ballots in the info center. Will you stand together as we close in prayer? As we do that, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're here today as a person. You've, you're, you, you're a good church person, but you know you realize this. I've just sort of rattled through, and maybe you're thinking, I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't get my notes filled in. You send me an email. I'll send you my notes. That's fine. Um, but you're saying, I've never actually put my faith in Jesus Christ. I would love to give you that opportunity as we pray. So let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Great God in heaven, I thank you that you are at work right now in this place, right now in my heart, right now in the heart of each person. I thank you that it's your desire to, to, for us to know you and to, to trust you. I thank you that it's your desire for us, in the words of Jesus, that we be born again into new life. And so we just thank you for that. I pray that in, in our coming week, you will stir in us, you will bring us into opportunities where we can share about you with people in our in our world, in our workplace, in our community, our neighborhood. God, I just would really pray for courage, Lord. When you give me that opportunity, Lord, just give me the guts to just lovingly speak what I know about you, just to share the truth. And I thank you that we don't have to be perfect. In fact, none of us are, and yet we can still speak for you, and I thank you for that. And church, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to be faithful to give you an opportunity to respond today. If you're someone who's never given your life to Jesus, or maybe it was a long time ago and you would like to refresh your, your commitment to Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I'm going to ask you to do something really courageous and crazy and just put up your hand and, and, and I'll look at you and we'll make eye contact and we'll talk together and pray together after the service. Anybody like that today, you say, I want to give my life to Jesus today for real. All right. And friends, I, we're going to be people who are going to lovingly share the truth. And I want to be this, this church where people are always going to hear the truth. They're always going to hear from Scripture. And they're always going to have the opportunity to encounter the living Lord. God, we thank You. And Father, one more time, we're going to keep praying for rain. You know how desperately we need it. And it's not by our begging that You act. It's only by Your grace and favor. And so that's what I'm appealing to. It's not because we deserve it. It's because You're so awesome. And we're asking God for You again to generously bless our valley in the right places and times. Lord, save the raisins that are going to go on the ground shortly. God, in the right time, in the right way, that you provide what we need for this valley. In Jesus' name, and we trust you, Lord. Amen.